we simply cannot allow people to pour into the United States undetected, undocumented, unchecked. And complete the dang fence. This bill that we will sign today is not a revolutionary bill. Cast down your bucket where you are. We come from France. And I am, you know, adamantly against illegal immigrants. They're coming in by the thousands, just unbelievable. A wall is an immorality. Who are you rooting for? Those masters of the universe are at it again. You maniac! You blew it up! Hello, this is Parsing Immigration Policy, the podcast of the Center for Immigration Studies. I'm Jessica Vaughn, Director of Policy Studies at the Center, and I'm your guest host today, filling in for Mark Krikorian. Today, we're going to address one of the most troubling side effects of the crisis at the southern border, and that is the record influx of children crossing the border illegally, unaccompanied alien children, as they're known in government speak, UACs. And because of a combination of poorly written U.S. law and troubling court rulings, The policies of the federal government are such that these kids are released quickly to sponsors in the United States and often end up in the hands of traffickers for the purposes of forced labor, commercial sex work, and other horrific circumstances in which they end up. Several recent congressional hearings have examined this trend and tried to draw attention to the policies that are responsible. At one of these hearings, I had the honor of testifying with my guest today, Tara Lee Rodas, who's been a courageous voice in drawing attention to the policies that are are leading to the problem of the exploitation of children. It's been reported by law enforcement agencies, government agencies, and news outlets, including the New York Times and other sources of information. But not enough attention has been paid to how this is playing out in American communities today. Tara, welcome to Parsing Immigration Policy. And can you tell us a little bit about your background and how you got involved in this issue? Yes, definitely. Well, Jessica, first, thank you so much for having me on the podcast to talk about what we now know is government-sponsored, taxpayer-funded child trafficking. This is a travesty. So how did I come to find out about this? Well, first, it might be helpful to know I've been a 20-year federal employee. So I've served the government for more than 20 years, and 17 of those years have been in the inspector general community. So we look at fraud, waste, and abuse in government programs. Now, as a small disclaimer, it's really important for your listeners to know that today I'm not speaking on behalf of the government or on behalf of my agency, but what I witnessed while deployed to the Pomona Fairplex Emergency Intake Site for HHS. Health and Human Services, the the agency. Yes. Yes, Health and Human Services. So your listeners may know that in early 2021, the Biden administration made a call to all federal employees to leave their home agencies and detail or be loaned to HHS to help place migrant children with sponsors in the United States. And so I answered the call. 
and I was deployed to the Pomona Fairplex Emergency Intake Site in Pomona, California. And I thought I was going just to help place children in loving homes. That's, that's how the program is sold. You know, it's, it's family reunification. That's what they say. Mm-hmm. But that's not what I found out at all. And why was this such an emergency at that time? Well, very interesting. It was a self-created emergency because they changed all of the rules in the program. They literally stripped out background checks for people in households. They did all kinds of things, changes in rules, so that it made it easy to move these children to sponsors in the United States. And they created a streamlined process to move children in 10 to 14 days from the Pomona Fairplex to sponsors who've never been seen, whose homes have never been seen in the United States. So rule changes made it very easy to become a sponsor of an unaccompanied child. Mm -hmm. So what we have is that the law requires that when a child crosses the border illegally and is apprehended by the Border Patrol, that the Border Patrol has 72 hours to turn them over to the Department of Health and Human Services. And from there, HHS has to have a process for the child. And that process does not involve removing the child, sending them back to their family in their home country. It's, as you said, to release them to a sponsor in the United States. Yes. And quickly, the mantra on the site was 10 to 14 days. Move the kids in 10 to 14 days. Now, what child welfare organization in the world would take a child and move them to an unvetted person in 10 to 14 days, give them to a person they had never seen face-to-face, to a home they've never seen, to a household that they don't know how many people are there, they don't know the backgrounds of the people there, they don't know the criminal activity of the people there. It absolutely is not even believable. And had I not seen it with my very own eyes, I could not believe this is the process that the U.S. government has for children. So how do they determine who gets to claim these kids? Well, that is the most horrifying thing of all. When the children turn themselves in at Border Patrol, they already have a name and a number of who they're going to. So Border Patrol simply gives that name to HHS, and then the case manager at HHS calls that number and says, Hi, are you expecting someone? because we have somebody here. And so the children tell us that those names were given to them in route. They are saying they don't know who these people are. And one of the biggest things is, how can this be family reunification when they even have a category of a sponsor that's called unrelated? It's category three. So to say this is family reunification is false, categorically false. And, you know, that's evident in some of the statistics that I've seen on this. Is I, I remember back around about 2012, 2013, we started to hear reports out of Texas. Governor Perry at the time was concerned about a growing number of unaccompanied minors who were arriving in Texas. And authorities were ill-equipped to deal with this, but the law that was passed in 2008 set up this process of turning them over to HHS. And at the time, there were statistics released after a couple of years, after the numbers kept getting bigger and bigger each year, that 
something, as I recall, it was about 70% of the kids who showed up as UACs were joining parents in the United States. The parents had paid a smuggler to bring them to the border, and then they were released to an actual parent or someone we thought was a parent. But in recent years, the percentage of kids coming to join a parent has become much less, that there are more and more being released to either other friends and family or completely unrelated sponsors. Why do you think that is the case? Well, there are many theories as to why we would want to move children to the interior of our country to trafficking networks. I can only talk about some of the cases that I personally saw myself and that I worked on and the investigations that I've been involved in. So this is a horrible thing that a person could view a child as a commodity, as an income-earning asset. But there are people who do, and this is, this is unbelievable to me, but they view the children as a way to make money because they can only sell a drug if you're, if you're in a cartel, if you're a gang member, if you're involved in some kind of trafficking. If you're trafficking drugs, you only get to sell your product one time. These people can sell their products that the children, they view them as products over and over again they are selling these children day after day week after week for labor or for sex mm-hmm. and it's it's proven i mean it's been in the news we see children who are working overnight shifts at slaughterhouses and when i first came forward with my disclosures and project veritas and james o'keefe went and knocked on the doors of the addresses that i gave them a young girl said you know i don't know this woman who is my sponsor. She tells me she's my aunt, but I don't know her. And she's pimping me out for sex where I'm living. I mean, the children were telling stories about how they don't know the sponsors. The children were saying that they had to quit their school so that they could work overnight shifts at their restaurant to pay back their debt to the cartel. So sadly, there are people on the interior of the country who view children as income-earning assets. It's despicable. Mm-hmm. And yeah, that's, it is despicable. And it's important to recognize that this takes a lot of forms and that this is nothing more than exploitation of vulnerable kids, mm-hmm. sometimes even their families, mm-hmm. that some of these kids think that they're coming here to earn money for their family, working for companies that are household names in America, whether it's the Hyundai parts factory in Alabama, or uh, I think it was a Cheerios factory Mm -hmm. in Michigan, an egg farm in Ohio. In worst cases, they're being exploited for commercial sex. Sometimes the exploitation is at the hands of a sponsor who duped their parent in their home country into bringing them to the United States. I've seen numbers of cases like that. But this is all too easy. Yes. I mean, we expect that our immigration system is is occasionally going to be exploited for the purposes of human trafficking. But this is a whole new scale 
that we have witnessed in the last few years that seems to be preventable. And what I'd like to talk with you about is, you know, what is it in the system that allows this? You know, how much of this is a policy choice? Mm-hmm. And simply, again, to remind people that while some of the kids are joining parents, in an increasing number of cases, that seems not to be happening. And that what some might think of as a, you know, an unlikely scenario of a gang or a cartel being involved, in fact, is more routine than we would like to believe. Yes. So let's start again, like with this process. How, I mean, every state has child welfare laws, has foster care systems, and a system for releasing kids. That seems not to be the case with the federal government for some reason. Exactly. And what is the reason? Exactly. They have just streamlined the processes and a case manager who is responsible for moving a child in 10 to 14 days. That's the mantra, right? I've heard people Mm -hmm. on Capitol Hill say it's easier to get an unaccompanied child than it is to get a pet from a pet store. Yeah, It's absolutely not believable that a child is handed over by a case manager who is only communicating with a sponsor by phone, not even video conference. They are sending documents. So the sponsor is sending photographs of their documents to, at least at the Pomona Fairplex, they were using WhatsApp to transfer documents. So photographs of their passports, photographs of their consular IDs, photographs of birth certificates. Consular IDs? Oh, yes. Consular IDs. For sponsors, yes. That's not something anyone would consider to be a verifiable or secure form of identification. In fact, it's it's broadcasting that the person who's giving that ID is an illegal alien. Yes. So I think that's something that most people don't know is that there is no requirement for a sponsor to have legal presence. So a majority of sponsors have no legal presence, meaning they are not U.S. citizens. They are not legal permanent residents, nor are they here on a visa. So right there, you're opening up the children, you're putting them into a situation, into a home that's already flying under the radar. And so that doesn't make sense. That has an interest in withdrawing from government attention. Exactly, exactly. I mean, even this crazy humanitarian parole that they have, the sponsor of an adult, they have to prove legal presence. So to get a child, there are no qualifications. There's no income qualification. You don't have to be above the poverty line. You do not have to provide, and this is stunning, you do not have to provide what we would consider is a legal form of proof of address. So when our transportation, so the MVM, Mike Victor Mike, is the company that's been transporting the children in the dead of night, delivering them to baggage claim areas, to sponsors who show up with a consular ID. These case managers, they are not law enforcement, okay? They have no background at all in looking at foreign documents, in document fraud. They have no idea. So it's so easily to dupe the system because the case managers just simply don't know. So whatever form of ID is accepted, that's fine. They just take it. They take it at face value. They take it at face value. As if they're, you can't even imagine that someone would lie or cheat or conceal their identity to take possession of a child. Right. And yet 
we know one of the big cases that I worked on, it was a gentleman in his 20s. He claimed he was sponsoring his sister, who was 15. So there seemed to be no issues with the case, the case manager who had been working on it. And because they were communicating by WhatsApp, you know, the person has their little photo on there. So about a week after the release of our unaccompanied minor, our little girl, we see her in this sexy embrace with her sponsor. The sponsor, you know, the the Mm. sponsor clearly is not her brother, but he gave us fake documents to show that he was the brother. So then we have to go through calling the police and doing drive-bys and all of this. But it's so easy to defraud the system. And therefore, it would be easy to shut the system down. But in my observations, it appears that HHS values the security of the identity of the sponsor over the safety of the child. This is unacceptable. It's horrifying. Yes. Yes, it is. They care more about protecting the privacy of the sponsor than they do about making sure that the child is going to be safe. Yes. That's how we ended up in this situation. Yes, it is. So it's not actually HHS employees who are doing this processing of the kids, correct? It's contractors? Correct. Who are some of the contractors? So our site was run by Cherokee Nation or Cherokee Federal was the contractor. The Pecos Emergency Intake Site was run by Endeavor. So there are lots of different contractors and NGOs out there who are making hundreds of millions of dollars off of this fraudulent system. It's hundreds of millions of dollars. It's staggering the amount of money. Most people probably don't realize that HHS is a $2.8 trillion agency. They are over 20% of the U.S. budget. They have immense resources, and they are giving their resources to traffic children. It's, it's unacceptable and absolutely unbelievable. In this discussion of the federal budget, we need our lawmakers to let that sink in yes. a little bit about how taxpayer money is being spent. And I can't imagine that these contractors are chosen necessarily for their experience in child welfare necessarily. No. Well, the most horrifying thing was revealed just a few weeks ago in a stunning undercover report by Project Veritas where they outed Andrew Lorenzen Strait. And so he used to be on the inside, but as soon as the admi- yes, and as soon as the administration took over, he goes on the outside and starts quote getting contracts the Washington way. And he was responsible for facilitating hundreds of millions of dollars going to Cherokee Federal, who used to be, you know, doing liquor and and casinos and now got them into the child trafficking business. So it's unbelievable that they allow this sort of fraud to go on in the system. Yeah. Yeah. Well, when I met Andrew years ago when he was at ICE, he was supposed to be the point person for victims of illegal alien crime. No. Uh, but he was actually more of an advocate for the illegal aliens themselves before he's apparently moved on to more lucrative things. But, you know, this influx of hundreds of thousands of kids who have come on their own 
does have an impact in American communities. The victims are are not just the kids themselves always, although that's, you know, plenty of them are being victimized. I recall listening in on a webinar with some of the NGO contractors who were responsible for doing the minimal follow-up work mm. um, that is supposed to happen. And, and let's talk about that a little bit. So it's bad enough that they place people with unvetted, unknown people, sponsors. Mm-hmm. What is supposed to happen after that? Does the government take any responsibility for checking up on the kids after they've been placed as a state agency might? Okay, so not as a state agency. There is an absolute night and day difference. And if you watch any of the congressional hearings, which I'm sure you have, you will see Secretary Becerra, uh, the head of ORRR, Robin, and I can't believe I'm going to forget her last name at the moment, but... They make it very clear they have no responsibility because they've transferred custody from HHS to the sponsor. So they Mm -hmm. make it clear we have no responsibility. They wash their hands. They absolutely wash their hands. Not their problem. What happens to the children afterwards? However, in the kindness of HHS, they do make a 30-day follow-up call. Uh Now, that 30-day follow-up call is to the sponsor who has absolutely every legal right to say, never call me again. Thank you. Bye. There's no obligation on the part of the sponsor to take this 30-day call. Yeah. How many of the traffickers or abusers do you think would actually want to (laughs) take that call? Well, they don't. (laughs) And it's absolutely unbelievable. So right now, of the hundreds of thousands of kids that have come into the care of HHS that they have dispersed all around the country, They will only admit that 85,000 are missing. But just because somebody answered a phone does not mean the child should be counted on the, oh, that child is doing great. Yes. Because we know that's not the case. It's honestly, it's not believable the lack of child welfare in this system. Because once the kids are out the door of HHS, that's it. I'm glad you made that point because I hear that 85,000 number a lot. And it's important to realize that those are only the ones that they're counting as not having taken the call. But, you know, the people making these calls can't really see what's going on in the household. No. And I consider, you know, most of them really to be, quote unquote, lost. Because we have no idea. Yeah. And Jessica, very, very important change happened in this administration when our case managers had written the release request, and then transportation comes, picks up the child, delivers them to the sponsor, you know, under the cover of night, you know, so that nobody would see where their children were going. It used to be- That tells you something right there. Why are they doing it at night? Exactly. But it was that case manager who used to make that 30-day follow-up call. It used to be that person would make that call. But when we started making those calls, right now the hairs are standing up on my arms, those kids were gone. Mm. I can't tell you how many calls I had to make to say the kid is gone. And the case manager is freaking out. She's crying. And it was shortly after that they took away all the 30-day calls from the sites and they put it at a massive call center. So HHS at, at HHS level, headquarters level, set up a call center to make those 30-day calls. 
So now you're but talking someone who has no connection with the case. Zero. It's just a caller. Just a caller. Just a caller. And not a caller who is saying, okay, I need you to put your video camera on right now yeah. on the phone. I want to see the child. I want to see that you have enrolled the child in school. I want you to tell me what is the immigration court date of this child. I want to speak to the child. How is the child doing? Well, we know they're not doing any of that. It's unthinkable. It's so irresponsible. And that's why hundreds of calls a month right now today, there are children calling an HHS helpline saying, I'm being abused, I'm being neglected, or I'm being trafficked. These are the children calling for help. Now, those are the ones that can speak English or Spanish. And and have the wherewithal to find that number. And Yes, if their sponsor didn't take all their paperwork from them, which they often do, right? So it's really the system. It's not believable that a federal government program could literally be this flawed. This gets an F. If you're any project manager could tell you this is no way (laughs) to run a program or a project. This gets an F, actually an F minus in my book. So this is unbelievable. The no, lack- you couldn't even like make this up. No. It's so bad. No, I really, when I deployed and believed that I was helping to put children in loving homes to learn that what this actually is, is a sophisticated network of traffickers. And this begins with recruiting in the home country. These children are then smuggled to the border. And the horrors that happen to them, many don't survive. You know, they don't. Yeah, talk before about they even that. get here. Yeah, it's bad before enough. they even get here, it's horrible. By the time the children get to us, they are in bad shape. We're having to delouse them, all kinds of things. You know, make sure they get showered and get new clothes. And some of them Medical are in very care. bad shape by the time they get to us. But then we're the delivery system of the final mile of the trafficking experience. This was awful to to learn that the U.S. government was doing this. And had I not seen it with my very own eyes, I simply couldn't believe this was happening. Now, one thing that I have heard contractors try to rationalize among themselves is to say that the federal government has a limited role here, the federal government and its contractors, and we're just trying to put the kids with appropriate sponsors to the best of our ability And they really see state and local governments as in place to pick up the pieces. They know that stuff could happen, that things could go wrong, that kids have problems, but that, you know, I I heard one say, well, we fully expect that within two months of our placement, that usually the school will step in at that point and um, start providing the child services that they need. Or, you know, like a school resource officer will pick up on the fact that this child is being dropped off in the parking lot in the morning after, you know, being at work in a poultry processing factory or something, you know, and that they'll the schools will figure out what's going on and they'll be able to provide services to these kids. But I mean, that it's just such an unreasonable expectation and burden to put on communities that have no say in how many are coming, know nothing about these kids and are tearing their hair out, trying to figure out how did they get here? Right. And then how can a school be responsible for determining 
which children are being trafficked. To my knowledge, they're not giving training in how to identify children who are being trafficked. How are, how are they going to know? How can the school pick up the pieces when they don't know who the children are who are the unaccompanied mm-hmm. children and they don't know who the sponsors are? They have no one that they can reach out to, right? And law enforcement can't vet these sponsors because they don't know their names. The federal government is bypassing all state law enforcement by simply putting a whole bunch of people, sponsors, right, that have come across the border who are not legal, some of whom we know are criminals and traffickers and members of transnational criminal organizations. This is creating a pull for people to traffic the children. That's the thing. You're creating a dual pull of criminal element to the country as well as their supply of children. It's absolutely unthinkable. And one thing, Jessica, that not a lot of people have talked about is, and thank goodness for Aaron Stevenson. So he was the brave whistleblower at DHS. And this is a American hero. He's a Marine. He is the first person. He's worked the TOC mission, which is transnational organized crime. He's worked the TOC mission since its inception. He was the first to identify that under the Biden administration, we began to see for the very first time ever this new and emerging threat, which is members on the talk watch list. So transnational organized crime were becoming sponsors of the children. So Aaron blew the whistle. And when I say talk, so transnational organized crime, what I'm talking about is 18th Street Gang, Mm -hmm. MS-13, Russian Balkan crime syndicates, and more. So Aaron actually flashed up the photo of this 18th Street gang member and showed where he had been fingerprinted because he had no relation to the child at all. And this is a young man who's sponsoring children. And now it's all over. So we have a criminal element that we're pulling because they have easy access to product. So The cartels and the gangs, they have to be laughing, but they're like, man, this is pretty cool because we can now use the United States as the middleman in our business plan. And that's exactly that's exactly what they're doing. They are abusing this system by getting these children. We're giving the children directly to them with taxpayer dollars, flying the children all around the country to these bad actors who are exploiting them. It's absolutely unthinkable. It must stop. Telling desperate people that they can give their child a better life. They're going to go to school in the United States. Here's Pay your down payment. We'll take care of the rest. Get them across the board. I mean, we've seen real life cases of this. Sometimes even the smuggler knows that they're going to be caught by Border Patrol because they've been deported before. But it doesn't matter because mm-hmm. that kid is going to be passed over to another contact within the United States to serve as sponsor. Right. And it's too easy. It's all too easy, and they're making money off of it. Yes, they are. And the kids are paying the price. Yes, the kids. And the employers are employing them. I think this is something that our listeners need to think about with the places that they patronize and the services that they purchase, that a disturbing number of employers are, are willing to look the other way at the age of the child. 
and not do their due diligence. I mean, this is another potential check on this activity is if we actually had robust worksite enforcement, immigration, either immigration enforcement or wage and hour enforcement or some kind of attention to who workers are. And, you know, if it's believable that this person is 18, who's who's running the forklift or chopping up the chickens or what have you, that's another opportunity to nip this. Yes. But these have all been dismantled and discontinued. Right, right. And we are not offering children the American dream. So people who think that this is a humanitarian effort, they need to rethink again. And they need to look at the data. They need to look at the trafficking that's been going on in this system for more than a decade and look at the horror and the suffering of the children. Because what we're actually doing is putting children into modern day slavery with high level criminal actors. And this is this was a terrible revelation, Jessica. I was, I was, it is I was, sobering yeah. to think about the involvement of actual organized crime in this. Yes. I, mean, I, I had heard plenty of stories about individual abusers, you know, like a, a young 13-year-old girl turned over to her so-called uncle who's 40 years old and they share a bedroom kind of thing. Yeah. But it's gone way beyond that now. Oh, yes, it absolutely has. That's what got me walked off the emergency intake site for revealing that we had an MS-13 actor. They did not want that to get out. And if people have seen The Sound of Freedom, what's horrifying is that the woman I reported for her activity in the gang, who was simultaneously sponsoring two children, okay, she was female. She was a female MS-13 known affiliate. She'd served time in prison in El Salvador for her bad things in the gang. And so here she is sponsoring two children, one from our site and one from the Fort Bliss emergency intake site in Texas. And I began to discover more and more and more information with the help of a great case manager. But she was working with a smuggler, a coyote, who was female also and had brought a group of 22 children, teens, who they were dispersing. But this woman worked in a hotel and you know, we're not supposed to be digging too much and getting too much information. But I told the case manager, I'm like, ah. you just keep her talking, get as much information <laughs> as you can. And so the next thing she says, oh, my goodness, you won't believe it. She just sent me over the ID of her household member and he's from Sinaloa. So now I'm not saying this case could be completely above board, but the goal was to move the children in 10 to 14 days. They don't want me telling them we have an MS-13 female sponsor working in a hotel who's sponsoring two kids. She's working with a female coyote who brought over 22 children and her household member is from Sinaloa. I think maybe we ought to look at this case. And that's what ultimately got me retaliated against. They threatened me with investigation. Instead of investigating this case. Instead of investigating the case, they didn't want this information to get out. And so anyway, it was kind of you know, looking back on it now is is kind of funny, but I can assure you I was scared at the time. I mean, my well, heart was racing. I, I'm thinking my 20 years of federal service is, is blowing up and I'm trying to help the children. I'm thinking about all the cases I'm leaving behind and they're telling me I'm under investigation. And then they took my badge. So it was not a, it was not a good day, but I would go back and do it all over again because 
this is this is evil what's happening to the children there are children today who are being sold for sex that is a sobering thought we mm-hmm. cannot be the land of child rape i'm sorry no. we need to do better everybody's tax dollars needs need to be accounted for we need to be good stewards of of tax dollars and right now we're using tax money to fund a criminal network well what should the government do speaking of funding we have congress now working on the appropriations bills what can congress do about this i'd shut the program down i'd be like you do not release one more child and you are going to turn over the data of every sponsor and every child because they have it right and what is the point of have, of treating un- unaccompanied minors in this way anyway if they're joining parents who have had them smuggled in because they can't sponsor them legally because they are themselves here illegally why would we encourage that why not take care of the parents and and hold them accountable if they are Coming to work, that is not okay either. Right. Because they're kids. Right. And we have work programs for adults from abroad. We certainly don't want to enrich criminal organizations. So, you know, the, the, the program was set up for trafficked kids, kids who truly are without family found in the United States who have nowhere else to go. That's what we need to return to, to reword the laws come up with appropriate regulations, even if we had a perfect child resettlement program for the cases that truly need it, as long as we're not controlling the southern border, it's still going to be a problem because people are going to get bypass the Border Patrol and get kids in that way right? as well. So Right. And I would question, I mean, should this program fall under HHS because it requires vetting It requires looking at the background of the sponsor. If we're talking about child welfare and child safety, we have to know the house and the people to whom the child is going to. This just only is common sense. So that would mean that you need some sort of law enforcement or investigative, you know, data analytics people involved in this process. HHS is not an investigative or law enforcement organization. They've clearly proven that they cannot manage this system. So I think that people need to think about where does this program belong, but HHS has proven with failing grades, one third of the children gone after placement, that they are not the ones to manage this program. Absolutely, they forfeited their uh, ability to do that. It's been a decade, sorry. Right. Now some states have been so frustrated, first at the lack of consultation, and you know meaningful communication about what's going on but also with child welfare agencies in their states prioritizing taking kids from the federal government for placement in the state rather than working on US citizen kids and who need foster care placements because the feds pay more than the state will but one state in particular has really dug into this issue, and that is Florida, to the point where Governor DeSantis impaneled a grand jury to investigate this problem. I I know that you're familiar with that investigation and the results. Can you tell us a little bit about what Florida thinks should be done? 
Yeah, well, Florida is very forward leaning, and they got in this fight early because you may remember that there was a a supposed child who came through the UC program. This is another way the program is defrauded. This person was not a minor. This person was not a child. He was in his twenties, and HHS flew that man right in his twenties to the state of Florida. And that person murdered their sponsor. So Florida was like, wait, what's going on? We need to look at this program and what's happening and what are all these rule changes that they made? So Florida, in order to protect its citizens, right, we can't just have this program defrauded in every way, said we want to take a real look at this. And so what they would like to see happen is that a sponsor of an unaccompanied child should be required to go through the same vetting process if you were going to be any licensed foster parent or anything like that. Why is it that a person has a right, there's no right to be a sponsor of an unaccompanied child? So they want to try to control who can be a sponsor and make sure that that sponsor is vetted, make sure that that sponsor is qualified to care for the child, And so they are hoping their goal is to look at the whole process and then change it so that at least for their state, they can ensure the safety of the children. So they really do care about, you know, the safety of the children. I I believe in the third presentment that they put out in March, there was a line in there that something said no news station in the United States would sit by if. If an American child was put through this process, why are we subjecting migrant children to these horrors? And it's important to remember that there is an incentive that someone who's in the country illegally would have to sponsor an unaccompanied minor. And that is once you do so, you are immune from deportation and no information about you or members of your household can be shared with ICE thanks to a measure that Congress passed as part of an appropriations bill. So they can hide in plain sight if they are sponsoring a kid. And that's why some people here illegally have signed up to do this in some cases. But there's no reason that states have to go along with these disastrous federal policies. Any state can can take measures as Florida has looked into to do that. And, and we're going to link to some of the documents associated with what Florida is doing so that our listeners can learn more about them. But states are not helpless in the face of of these policies. It is indeed urgent that we address this. And I just want to ask you, Tara, thank you so much for coming on to talk about this. We could talk all day, but I wanted to give you the opportunity if there is, is there anything else you wanted to tell our listeners about this? I just think people, if they you know, if they could really see how the whole process works, you don't have to be an investigator to see. You don't have to be a data analyst to see. This is a flawed program. And I would encourage people to just go back and watch Trafficked in America. It's on YouTube. Anybody can see it. This details exactly how children were lured from Guatemala, working in slave labor conditions on an egg farm in Marion, Ohio, They will see how the children were threatened. They will see the squalor conditions. These children didn't even have a toilet in the trailer. It was a bucket. This is 
what's happening is so inhumane. And these are vulnerable children. People need to wake up as to what's really happening here. So I would encourage people to get informed. Watch The Sound of Freedom. You'll see exactly how people lure the children and defraud the parent, right? They, they tell the parent a lie. And then the parent thinks, wow, this is something really great for my kid. They're going to maybe be able to go on to be, you know, a movie star because Miss Cartagena has come to take their photographs and, and help them go through beauty school. When in fact, they're separating them from their parent for the purpose of sex trafficking. So I would just encourage your listeners to get informed. But Jessica, thank you so much for everything that you and the Center for Immigration Studies do to highlight what we now know is government-sponsored, taxpayer-funded child trafficking. Indeed, indeed. It's a horror that, that can be stopped. And finally, I wanted to give you an update on a couple of things. First of all, the Office of Refugee Resettlement, which, as we just discussed, is responsible for handling the unaccompanied minors, has announced an alarming new regulation that they would like to implement. What they are planning to do essentially is institutionalize all of these disastrous policies that we've been talking about and go even farther in giving ORR and its crony contractors even more free reign for how they handle the kids with less accountability, if you can believe that. Here's what they want to do. Besides imposing more secrecy and allowing even less information sharing and shutting out law enforcement agencies, They want to actually make all sponsor vetting optional. They want to allow sponsors to pick up kids directly at the border without any involvement or screening by the feds. They want to allow the feds to bypass state laws, of course, which are more strict than the federal regulations. So watch our website for more details on this really troubling proposal and The public comment period closes in about 60 days. So if you'd like to comment, you can take that opportunity to do so. Secondly, the center is again co-sponsoring the second annual Conference to Combat Human Trafficking on December 12th and 13th in Houston. We have a full slate of outstanding expert speakers who are going to be there, including Tara Lee Rodas and a variety of officials from state and local government agencies. So watch our website for more information on the second annual conference to combat human trafficking. That's it for Parsing Immigration Policy this week. Thank you for listening. 